everybody. He's one and all on you. You are the two biggest names in the division. I want to see it again. I want to see it again now, and I want to see it with no rehydration problems. Fighter put on a hell of a performance and he did his thing. It's a good fight, but uh, you know, maybe more uh, development for uh, Garcia. He should, uh, you know, uh, strengthen his body and also uh, learn more, a lot of uh, more techniques because uh, uh, that's what he needs. He has uh, the skill of uh, boxing, but he needs to improve it. I'm not surprised. Like, the, the question for me was when he got hot for Ryan. I thought O'Brien was going to be more effective, but um, I think he just got caught with a good body. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport that, while it may disappoint, will always deliver when it comes to Saturday nights that we've just had. And for many of you listening to this, you'd have probably caught up with the Javante Davis versus Ryan Garcia fight. Uh, probably the first super fight of of this era, of like the the kids born in the 90s type era. You know, the... I don't even know how you describe it. You can't call it the Hansen era because I think those kids from Hansen must be in their 40s as well. But this is the first time these young boys, the kids born in the 90s, this is, this is like their first real super fight. Because you see, in terms of build-up, in terms of focus and in terms of enthusiasm, we haven't had that desire to see two people get in the ring as keenly as we did this weekend since probably, I'd say Mayweather Pacquiao. I want to put Wilder Fury 1 in there, but Fury is more of a legacy thing, wasn't it? Like Fury had held the, all the other belts and Wilder had the WBC, so Fury had a chance to complete the set. So we understood why the fight was significant, but it didn't feel like a super fight. It felt more like two really good boxers going at it. I think, you know, considering who they both are now, if this if the same energy was in that situation, that would be a super fight. But I think this is because you've got you've got all of these kind of subplots, haven't you? You've got that 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 dichotomy. You got Ryan Garcia, the kid who, while he can box, was the first real box we had of the Instagram age. Um, you know, like I look back on guys like O'Hara Davis and Anthony Yard, and I always say that they were the first real boxers of the YouTube age where the bulk of their following was built online. And I'm not, that's not to denigrate their talent, by the way. It's just to say that they were the first people to really figure out how to do this YouTube thing well. And I think Ryan Garcia was one of the first boxers, if not the first, definitely of his generation, to figure out how to do Instagram well and how to build a following based on that. And he brought a completely different demographic. He almost sat between 
what we call traditional boxing and what we're now seeing with misfits boxing around the YouTubing. And Ryan Garcia was kind of that bridge where he was the first guy we saw interacting with the YouTubers. And through that, it gave that legitimacy to the YouTube world. You know, I know people criticize the YouTube world. I'm still a fan of it because I feel it, it adds diversity and variety to the sport that we love. So you've got Ryan Garcia, who is, is everything we thought the modern boxer would be. Social media savvy, media savvy, able to hit every demographic. And let's consider his record, the kid could fight. All through the levels, amateur and pro, he's shown that he can fight. In contrast, you've got Javante Davis. If Ryan Garcia is everything clean cut, Javante Davis is, you know, every parent's nightmare in terms of an in-law, right? Kid from Baltimore. If you've seen The Wire, you'll know why Baltimore is considered one of the scariest places to be in the United States. And despite all the negativity there is in Baltimore, here you have this diamond who year after year, level after level, proves he is the best of his group. Where Ryan Garcia, it's all clean cut, it's all California sunshine, it's all this, it's all that. Javante Tank Davis, everything is grey and it's gritty and it's it's real and it's it's raw and it's from the heart. It's it's all those things and you've got this perfect contrast. And then you know, behind the scenes, you've got the Oscar De La Hoya, Leonard Ellaby beef, which, you know, I mean, it's essentially Oscar versus Floyd, right? Because Ellaby tends to be Floyd's proxy. And you've got all of this kind of tension that's been building. And it's rare that you get those moments bubble up. And then just when they're at their perfect moment, we get the fight. Normally, the fight comes years too late like people say it did with Floyd and Manny. So here we do, we, we, we get a super fight, and it is a super fight, because when you're looking at the most relevant boxers right now, outside of the heavyweights, you struggle to think of names that are capturing the youthful energy. You know, guys like me, whatever. Like, we, we, we'd, we'd watch it regardless, but the ability to draw people in, we haven't had that, no, not in a long time, to, to draw the creme de la creme, in. If you look at who was in attendance, Manny Pacquiao flew in for this fight. Um, you had Nelly and Ashanti making a public appearance together. You know, are they together? They're not together. We don't know. But you know, you you had the stars out in force. Floyd was there, being Floyd. Um, the arena was packed. You know, those tickets were expensive. This is a truly big event, right? It's a truly big event. And then you look at both fighters, and you're saying, up until this fight. Neither of them has put a foot wrong. Neither of them has put a foot wrong. You look at um, Ryan Garcia, had some great fights. Luke Campbell springs to mind. Um, I thought he did, did really well against someone like Jose Lopez. you got Tank, and Tank said this incredible run from when he fought Uriorcus Gamboa. There's been Leo Santa Cruz, he's fought Pitbull, he's fought Rowley. He's fought a lot of good guys, not necessarily his equals in terms of being potentially one of the all-time greats, but these are good, hard fights, fights that kind of build your character. And you look at Tank, and Tank's kind of in his peak years. I wouldn't say Ryan's in his peak years. I think he's got more developing to do, but Tank's in his peak years. So what he's looking for are these sorts of moments. 
And these are the moments where he seems to come alive when the pressure's on, when people don't believe he can do it. You start to see the best of Tank. And for Ryan, at 24 years old, to put himself in that position. And I think of all of the kind of guys we look at at 135, I think Ryan is... Is he the youngest? Or is he the same age as Devin Haney? Um... I have a feeling that they, they, they're broadly similar in age, but I think Garcia's the younger. But then again, if they're boxers, amateurs, is there really that much difference in age between the two? But essentially, Tank is the elder statesman in this group, and so Tank had to mix it with this group. And he does. And so Saturday night, we get to see the, the culmination of all of this talk. And, and the thing, as boxing fans, we respect about this is, both guys said they'd fight each other in April. They said April 22nd, and it happened. And we're seeing that with Lomachenko and, and Devin Haney. And I'm, I'm liking where this is going because it doesn't seem ego gets in the way for these guys. I keep saying it, the defeats in some ways will come to define their greatness as opposed to just the wins. And so here we are. We end up on Saturday night. We've got Ryan Garcia and we've got Tank Davis. So before the fight, what do we think? A lot of people giving the speed advantage to Ryan Garcia, which I found strange because you've got to remember, Javante Davis has kind of come up the weights. So in terms of speed, he's dealt with faster guys than Ryan Garcia. He's dealt with guys that throw more punches than Ryan Garcia. That's comfortable. And then from the, from the tank side, people are talking about the, the dog in him, his ability to generate power from absolutely anywhere. Because he has an uncanny ability to just to uncork power punches from, from angles that the textbook would tell you are all wrong. And that's, I don't even know how you describe it, but that's, that's that legacy of, of being comfortable in the ring. And this is what happens when you box when you're a kid. You understand where you can do these things from because you figured it out a long time ago and all you do in adulthood is perfect it. And so both guys have that. Um, slightly usual offensive styles, I'd say, for both. You know, Ryan Garcia with that, that slashing hook that he likes to bring over the top with southpaws, which he, he did to good effect against Luke Campbell, which then allowed for him to stop Luke Campbell with the body shot, which was to prove ironic as we, as we get further into this pod. You know, you build further into it, you weave further layers into it. You've got Calvin Ford, who's had Tank from a kid all the way through to now, and you've got Joe Goosen, who's kind of taken Ryan on after, you know, Ryan's had a number of different homes. And so you've got that. So you've got, you know, Calvin Ford, Baltimore through and through, inner city Baltimore through and through, against Joe Goose, one of the boxing luminaries. And, you know, you've, you've got these, all these sorts of elements feed in, and it's like, you know, the general boxing media would probably say Goose would have the perfect game plan. Um, people say, look, Tank can just trust what he's doing. And you look at it and you go, right. In terms of size, Javante is going to give away a lot. But in terms of speed, accuracy, timing, I don't think he's giving up anything at all. And then Ryan's almost looking at it going, right, I'm dealing with a smaller guy here. So all of my reach advantage is gone because he's going to box really small. So then I need to make my strength and weight bear on him. And hopefully that's a factor. So... You, you get to the point in the fight and you've had everything. You've had the build-up, the, the shoving at the weigh-in, um, the Bernard Hopkins conspiracy theory where Calvin Ford was talking about maybe Hopkins had testosterone cream on his hands. And there are all sorts of crazy you know, conspiracy theories. And 
you know, I understand where all of this comes from. It's all part of the the pantomime that is, you know, the build-up to a, a super fight, and this was a super fight. And so you get to that first bell, and I'm getting to that first bell, and I'm thinking, Ryan can't box how he normally boxes because he leaves too many gaps. And Tank is a guy, and this is Javante Davis's real skill, Tank can punch in your gaps. Like, any gap that you leave, he will spot, and eventually he'll exploit it. That's how he's able to to get all these come from behind wins and that's how he's able to tame taller guys because taller guys think they can just get away with you know keeping him at the end of the jab and doing what they want because they've got the range advantage but he will always finds your gap and he'll get to you and because he hits hard enough to stop people at 135 and 140 because he hits hard enough he has that deterrent factor and once you've got that deterrent factor it means you can then box how you want to box because people start to look at you and go I need to be wary of you so so as befits guys of the stature first round KG Ryan's on his jab he's fainting and you're watching the fight you're like okay this is going to be interesting because both guys were disciplined there was no rush of blood to the head and I don't think you do at that level but what I found interesting in that first round was how intently how intently Javonte was watching Ryan Garcia, was looking at everything. He, he had that look, you know, when you watch a leopard hunting and they've just locked in and all they're doing at that point is making those minute assessments and adjustments of when the right time to strike is. Whereas with Ryan, Ryan kind of looked like, I don't want to say he looked overconfident. That's not, the, that's not the, what I'm trying to say, but he looked like he was already trying to find ways to take out Javonte Davis. But another thing I also picked up as I'm watching this was how Javante was, he was looking down that middle channel. And if you look from certain camera angles, and credit to the camera angles that zone provided, you could see that there was a clear channel where you could see a complete unprotected center line. And you could see Tank was looking at it, and he wouldn't go after it, but he was almost trying to work out, how could I get there? If I needed to get there, how could I get there? And, you know, I'm, I'm watching this go, okay, they're figuring each other out. Um, Ryan's, you know, Ryan's trying to work out how he can get in. He's, Ryan's more measuring the distance. Tank's looking for the opportunities. Ryan's measuring the distance because you know that left hook's going to come. And that's the left hook that he was putting down guys with Javier Fortuna. It's the left hook he put Luke Campbell down with. So he likes to work out that distance. And then once he's got it figured, you'll start to see him slashing those hooks over the top, slashing those hooks to the body which is especially risky against the southpaw because that's kind of your lead side and you're not used to having it so exposed and definitely not used to it being attacked that way. So you're looking at that first round and that's kind of where you're landing. You're like, okay, this is KG. Garcia's looking for distance and position. Tank's looking for opportunity. And so KG-ish round, Tank's not doing that much. He generally doesn't because obviously he's doing his opportunity assessment. Ryan does that. If people are going to be reasonable, you're going to give Ryan that first round, right? And then it was a nice way for us to all kill off the tension and relax and go, right, we're into this fight. But the instructions at the end of the first round were, I thought, were indicative of the level of, of trainer each fighter has. You got Joe Goosen going, look, 
stick to the jab, but work your way in and out, because obviously that's how you draw opportunities for the counterpunch, which you imagine Joe Goosen is trying to do. Is, you know, catch Tank coming in, catch him off balance, and you've got a chance of putting him down. They're clearly going for the stoppage. Calvin Ford, in contrast in the corner, is make sure Garcia doesn't get his jab off. Yeah, do anything you can to disrupt that jab, which you saw towards the end of the first round when, you know, Ryan was getting no joy with his jab, so he then came over the top with a slashing hook, maybe a bit earlier than he had planned, but that was the approach he decided to take. So as you start to move into the into the the meat and potatoes of this fight, so second round, Ryan Garcia starts now coming on the attack and saying, I think I might have the measure of this guy, so I'm just going to go after him. Which is never good with Tank, because if you notice, Javante Davis never gives you a static target. When he's trying to figure you out, he doesn't give you a static target. Whereas Garcia does give you heavy feet. His, his, his hands are fast, but it's rare that his, his feet are as fast as his hands. So he gives you a pretty static target, which I think was playing towards Javante Davis's favor. But no matter what Ryan was doing, roughing up, using his height advantage, trying to bomb those hooks in, Tank stays calm. Facial expression doesn't change. He just sticks to what he knows. He sticks to what he trusts. And he's working it through. And, and then, obviously, we had the moment in the second, in the second round where, where he puts Ryan Garcia down. So the minutes to go in round... I think it was round two. Yeah, it was round two. Garcia throws a slashing hook, looks to drop down, shifts head level. And as he does that, Garcia comes up with a, with a straight left of his own and puts Ryan Garcia down. And that was the culmination of quite a messy sequence. But what I found interesting in that sequence, and this became the tone of the fight, Tank looked reasonably calm. He looked like he'd been there many times before, and he had been, and you could see how all those previous fights he'd had had prepared him for this. He was quite happy being in the eye of the storm, whereas it looked like Ryan Garcia wasn't used to having to think about what comes back when he finds himself in the eye of the storm. And he got caught with a punch that seemed to surprise him. It didn't, didn't have any lasting effects, but it surprised him. And, you know, as we found out with the judges' scorecards, the judges didn't give this as a 10-8 round, which I found very, very strange because I thought the you know, Tank was in reasonable control and you could tell from the way he dropped him that he knew what he was doing at all times in that ring. So at this point now, you realise... You know, We've seen Ryan drop before, dropped against Luke Campbell, another southpaw. We'd seen him drop before. So we knew there was that vulnerability, but we didn't know if Tank would have the size to do that. Well, it turns out he did. And me as a fan, I'm now thinking Tank will drop him again because that wasn't even Tank trying. He hasn't gone through the gears yet. So Tank's going to drop him again. Now you're thinking this fight ain't going the distance. And I think Garcia now realizes this ain't going the distance. So I'm going to have to scrap it out too and that's when you start to see as the fight progresses a lot more of those slashing hooks Goosen's trying to tell him stick to the jab the opportunities will come and on paper they would and in contrast Calvin Ford's like no 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 you put him down once you put him down again the opportunities will come don't rush in and that that's kind of the tone of the fight for the next few rounds so as you're going through the fight and the fight's a bit it's cagey understandably it's cagey, but I just kept getting this nagging impression that Garcia doesn't want to be in there, not from a, like a courage perspective. He looks like a kid who is in there with something he doesn't understand. It, it's now dawned on him this is going to be a hard night's work because everything he's trying is not working. 
So if you if you go back and just remember how you mem- how you remember the fight, what Ryan Garcia was really trying to do in these kind of meaty rounds is when Javante Davis was pouring out with his jab, sometimes he was bringing it back slower than he should have done. And so Ryan was using that as his trigger point to throw the hook over the top, hoping that his, his fist would get there before Tanks does. And it worked on occasion. Let's not pretend it didn't. But it was a risky strategy because Ryan's got a lot of bad habits right? <laughs> that have never been fixed. So if you look at bad habit number one, keeps his chin hanging in the air routinely, leans over his front foot when he's working. Um, and some, in some ways it's helpful because it helps him close people down. It gives him a bit more foot speed on the front side when he's trying to shut people down. But if you're being critical, it leaves him wide open. Like You know that's a target and it's a question of when, not if. Also, when he throws that left hook to get the speed and leverage, he drops his right hand, so he actually opens up. And I don't think Tank would have been the first person to notice that, but these are things that you hope that a competent trainer would start to iron out. But as the fight goes on, he gets more and more ragged technically in this fight. And so Tank's just waiting for that opportunity to get close enough to exploit it. But meanwhile, Garcia's just pecking away, and he's doing all the right things. I call it scorecard pressure, as you know. You're doing the right things to keep that scorecard ticking, hopefully in your favor, but you're doing the things that people notice. He's shutting the ring down well. Um, you know, Tank's also working well, using lateral movement, not staying on the ropes, always having a look, looking for those opportunities, knowing that they'll come eventually. And when they do, then he can start to go through the gears. And so it's a cagey fight, as befits people who are at the top of their game. It gets super cagey until we get to what we can start to call, I don't want to call it the end game, but sort of like the beginning of the end. So we get to round six, and you can see Tank starting to turn the screw. Um, Ryan's looking a bit more ragged now. He's throwing the right hand with his chin in the air, and Tank's just chipping away. And I know we're going to talk about the finish in a few minutes' time, but don't underestimate how much body work was done up until the end of round six to soften up the midsection of Ryan Garcia. Ryan Garcia poker faced it really well, but there were a lot of those shots you could hear, and you're like, nah, they're, they're painful shots. So that, that body was being softened up because as Tang started to push forward, he knew that the Garcia chin would be there, but he was almost, you know I mean, setting that, that mental trap of saying, I'm going to keep coming to the body, keep coming to the body. So Garcia has to protect it. You know, like after a while, it gets too painful. So you'll drop your hands a little bit. And because Garcia's chin is in the air, tank you in the second half of the fight, that chin is there for the taking. So round six, you start to see him close the distance. Now, one thing I found really interesting about both guys is they're not great with head movement. So, so tank is great controlling distance, but it's more pullbacks. He'll step back. He'll step off to the side. But in terms of like, you know, head movement, He's not, he's not a great mover of his head. Neither is Ryan Garcia. Ryan moves in and out in straight lines. And this is generally why Ryan gets caught a lot. Because his lateral movement is pretty poor. He's great at closing down lateral movers. But he's not a good lateral mover himself. So we get to the end of round six. And it's like, okay, cool. Now the fight's going to heat up. Because now Tank's got to come forward. Ryan's going to have to deal with a different threat. We know he's trying to boom that right hand down. As a southpaw should. But he's also now throwing in... Um, as an orthodox fighter, should, I should have said. And he's also now throwing in the right uppercut to then give an opportunity for that slashing left hook that he likes to throw. Although I was surprised that he wasn't throwing that off a pivot. He wasn't trying to check hook tank coming in. 
but then that points to an issue with lateral movement, right? So you get to the end of round six, and you're like, okay, fight's heating up. Second half of the fight is going to be what the fans have paid for. So round seven starts. Obviously, there's a there's an issue with the glove tape on Garcia's wrist, but that gets sorted, and Garcia's straight on the attack, jab into a right hand. You can see that there's an adjustment made at this point, and now Ryan's like, I can jab. If I just hold off a split second and I can let the right hand go, it's a better target. So he tries to do that, and it works. Tank sees that. Tank then adapts and goes, I've got to stay on my, on my focus, right? So the round kind of moves, and you're seeing... There's no real signs of Javante Davis being stressed, right? He, he's, he's maintained the same demeanor throughout the whole fight. He looks calm. He's been there before numerous times. Garcia's getting frustrated because if you look at it, he hasn't done what he's wanted to do yet. And he hasn't really got what I call a meaningful moment of success yet. And, and so we get to halfway through round seven. And there's a sequence where Garcia throws a left hook, Tank ducks under. Garcia pins him. As he's got his weight on, Garcia's like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm going to let go of Tank. He's going to come up. And as he comes up, I'm going to hit him with that right hand. Yeah. But he brings the right hand out from wide. And what does Tank do? As Garcia's winding up his right hand, Tank rips the left hook to the midsection. And this is the midsection he's been tenderizing for the last six and a bit rounds. Now, he probably thought, right, that was just a good shot. Because there was still a right hand that came back on Tank, but because he got there first, the impact wasn't the same. But to his surprise, Garcia tries to poker face it, kind of slides back a bit, and then you just see the grimace, and then that's it. He's straight down on one knee. At first we thought, right, this is tactical. He's going to pull himself together, get up and carry on fighting. And I think Tank said this later in the press conference, he wanted Garcia to get back up so the fight could carry on. Garcia looked at the ref, and he was like, nah. So there are going to be all sorts of views on what Ryan Garcia did after that body shot. Some will say he quit. Some will say he checked out. Some will say he was looking for a way out. And it's tricky because we don't know how he felt in that moment. If you've ever been hit there before, you know it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. You know, it's because there's no hiding place, especially like Orthodox versus Southport, it's so open that, you know, Tank is putting that force from, from out to in and you're almost turning in with it. Like, there's just so much energy at that point that, you I mean, the liver stood no chance. I'd at least like to see Ryan stand up and if he couldn't stand up, drop down again. You know the thing that says... I'm doing all I can to get back up. You know, grab the ropes, pull yourself up, whatever it is. But maybe that's not who he is as a person. I have a feeling that had the roles been reversed, had Tank taken a body shot, you'd have seen him climbing up the rope. He'd have been pulling himself up on the ref because that's the sort of dog he is, right? Some people just have that fighting spirit. I, I just get, always get the impression with Ryan, he's a great technician and a great athlete without necessarily being a great fighter. Because you always wondered what he would do when it got tough. And I don't, I don't know if that's the thing that's in him. I don't know if that's the thing of he's never been in that situation before. But then he's been dropped before. So he's been in that situation before. So it's just understanding that 
did he in fact here's the question we've got to ask now now that we know the outcome of the fight did he need the tune-up fight before he fought tank davis it now looks that way because he looked rusty Whereas if you look at Javante Davis, since he fought Gamboa in 2019, he's been reasonably active. And then we've had the Isaac Cruz, the Roley fight. We've had a reasonable run of fights for Tank Davis. And so he looked sharp. He looked match fit. He looked like a guy who had momentum. And at the top, top level, momentum is everything. Because it means you do less in camp. You're just topping up, you're refreshing. Whereas I felt Ryan was having to fill up the jug a lot more than Javante did. And that may have allowed Javante to, to do other stuff that gave him that, calm and, that calmness and serenity that he was able to project. Because at no point did Ryan look calm. He always looked like he, he was trying to figure out what was happening. Whereas Tank always looked like he was leading the fight. That's why I thought it was an easy fight to score. I, I think he gave maybe all but one of the rounds to, to Tank. Um, plus a knockdown, but I saw some of the judges' scorecards, and <laughs> the less said about that, the better. But it was a shame how the fight ended, because you wanted a fight of this magnitude to end, not necessarily with controversy, but with the fans going home going, wow, I can't believe what I just saw. But, but the sad thing is I know how boxing fans are, so I'm expecting all the memes. You'll have Ryan Garcia... Uh, in a picture on one knee with BLM, you'll have all of this stuff happening. You'll have Xboxers coming out, slating him, going, you should have gone out swinging, all that sort of you, You're going to have everything. And we, we all remember that he's an incredibly sensitive kid. So how he copes with this will be informative of where his head is at. I think, um, I think you move up in weight. People say the rehydration clause got him, but the fact of the matter is, if you're really a welterweight campaigning at lightweight, that's where the problem is. Why not just fight a junior welterweight as a compromise? I don't think it's fair to pull someone like Tank Davis up to weights where he's not comfortable. I know Conor McGregor was in there going, I want to see this fight again, but with no rehydration clause. And I'm like, well, okay, cool, but what weight class would you have it at, you know? How about Ryan Garcia comes down to 130 pounds with no rehydration clause? Be the same outcome. And so the point is about all of these things is what did for Ryan Garcia was an amazing shot. This idea that, that he, was, he was too weight-drained to, to take that body shot is ridiculous. That was just a perfect body shot. There's no version of Ryan Garcia that would have taken that shot because when he threw his shot at Luke Campbell... If you remember, he stopped Luke Campbell with a body shot. There wasn't any of this. No one granted him clemency. Oh, my God. You know, was Campbell right at the way? It was none of that. It was just like, that's a really good shot. And the shot that Tank got him with was a really good shot. Probably the, I think, the best shot of the fight just because of the way he timed it. And... Because Tank does that a lot, he will punch you while you're punching. It makes you gun-shy. So people say, look at the punch output from Garcia. He must have been weight-drained. No. When Tank hits with you, you're reluctant to throw three-punch combinations because you're like, something's going to come back at some point. So you do just enough to get away with it, and you go again. So I don't think it was. I just think it was a really good shot. I don't think we got to find out if the weight was a factor because we didn't get that deep into the fight. That's the harsh reality. And don't forget, they weighed in. 
think they weighed in in the morning. So Ryan would have still had a chance to, to rehydrate up to 155 comfortably. So, so yeah, you're, I think people are splitting hairs about this rehydration clause. I think it's a bit of a red herring, actually. I'll tell you what the sad part of this will be. It will be if this comes to define Ryan Garcia. I really don't want this to define his career. You know that with Roberto Duran, people talk about no mass. And had there been Twitter in, in that age, I wonder how he would have coped with that. And poor old Ryan's got to deal with this now, the fact that people think he swallowed it. And you I mean you're gonna get you're gonna get your your standard washed up pros, guys who've never been at that level before. You know, guys like Bell you will be talking about this. And remember David David Hay, Tony Bell, you just remember Tony Bell you called for a fight with a guy who had a virtually broken back and half an Achilles tendon across both of his legs. That is who Bell you call for, and he called for the rematch, and he trades off that win. And he's the sort of guy you will see piping up about Javante Davis, talking about you got to go out like a warrior. We'll see the usual talking heads come out and say this, and it's going to be embarrassing to see, because I don't necessarily know what the kid did. I don't know what was going through his head. I don't know if he's broken a rib. And yes, I do believe, you know, sometimes for the optics, you've got to be a bit theatrical, roll around if you have to, uh, pull yourself up on the road, pull yourself up on the ref, because otherwise this is what happens. And it's a shame, because this will detract from what was essentially a good win for Javante Davis. This is a hell of a win. And if you really look at it, Tank really only has to fight the winner of Haney Lomachenko, and then probably Shakur Stevenson, if that. And then that, that's kind of, that's him set in the Hall of Fame. He's shown how to do it. He's shown how to stay calm in the eye of the storm. Like, he doesn't fall for your traps. He, you can't rush him. There's not much you can do with him. And he boxes so small that he, he negates all of these height and reach advantages. There's not much you can do. The guy that will give him the hardest fight is probably Devin Haney because Devin is another guy who doesn't commit. So that will be, it'll be a cagey affair, much like this fight was. And then the question will be, can Haney take more than, than what Ryan Garcia did? You know, the other thing I did like about this fight was, I thought Tank Davis was class, but I thought both men were class in the press conference. I did like how Mayweather did, came and just reminded Tank Davis to, to keep money in Ryan Garcia. You know, that's a classic Mayweather tactic. Keep the money in the fighter because we may have to fight him again. And so I thought Tank was gracious. I thought he, he kept a lot of money in Ryan Garcia. And I'm sure people wouldn't mind seeing that fight again because we may have to see that fight again, depending on how their careers go. Would it be the same outcome? I don't know. But I thought Tank in the press conference was mature. He gave the right kind of answers. He avoided any controversy. He gave very little energy to these reporters, which I love. And I, that's a classic Mayweather tactic. And it means you can go to bed peacefully knowing that there's, <laughs> there's nothing with your name on it that doesn't involve victory. So credit to that. I thought Ryan Garcia was class. He'll go back and he'll rebuild. Um, and I said, I expect him to rebuild at 140. Um, he's not far off fighting guys like Progray, etc., etc. He's He's in that kind of company if he can take the shots. The problem you're going to have, it, like I said, is he has to overcome that stigma that's going to come with what happened in the seventh round. It's as simple as that. Um, 
But great event. It was good. You saw everyone there. Mike Tyson was there. Like I said, Pacquiao was there. Nelly was there. The Charlos were there. You know, everyone had their choice words to describe what happened afterwards. Uh, you know, I don't think people were sympathetic towards Garcia. Uh, but what can you say? This is boxing. People have strange views when the camera's put in front of them. But when it's done to them, they'll have a different interpretation. So that rounded off a really good night for DAZN. You've got to tip a hat off to DAZN. Like they, they definitely won the weekend. Uh, massive credit for Cordina versus Rakimov. thought that was a hell of a fight, by the way. I didn't think Cordina could tough it out that long. I thought Rakimov would have got to him. I think the cut to Rakimov's eye slowed him down a bit. But Cordina boxed wonderfully. And I know it's easy to talk about the Sims gym being dirty because of Conor Ben. But... Cordina's always had that kind of talent in him. I'm not going to detract from Cordina's world title win because he's always had that talent in him. And I don't think the stuff he was doing in there is anything other than what he's always been capable of. Just maybe mentally not been locked in enough. But thoroughly enjoyed how he boxed. Um, picked his shots. Boxed to his strengths. He'll never be a power puncher, but he'll always be fast and accurate. And I mean, I think that's a massive advantage for him. Um, thought he did wonderful things for Wales um, on the on that card. Who else did I enjoy? Good to see Jordan Thompson doing something, but you got to put Jordan Thompson in with someone of his size. Let him jump in with guys like Tommy Fletcher at some point. Let him jump in with guys like Reakpor. If you're talking about him being ready for world titles, cool, but you got to get through the British traffic to get there, because otherwise we don't believe you deserve it. We'll, <laughs> May 27th, we're going to see four of our best cruiserweights go at it. Jordan Thompson's not in there. So he's got to earn that right before he does anything else. But I thought it was good. Sandy Ryan with another win. Uh, don't know where I stand with Sandy Ryan. Fan of hers. Um, I think the whole mental health thing was a misstep on her behalf. But I'd like to see her in in challenging fights. And I think that's what's going to bring the best out of it. Let's see her in with a McCaskill. Um, if she can ball down and face a Chantal Cameron, cool. Do that. Let's let's see this. If she, if she needs to go up and fight her friend Hannah Rankin, let's see her do that. I just want to see her tested because I think that's when we'll see the best of Sandy Ryan when she's tested. I don't think these sorts of fights do her any good. But let's just pause and think about this. You had a women's WBO world title fight between two people with a combined total of, I don't even know what it is, let's just say 14 fights, right? 14 fights, and they're fighting for a world title. Combined, no, not individually, combined. Until there's more depth in the women's divisions, these, all of these title wins are going to be one of two things, either seen as hollow, so in empty weight classes, they're going to be seen as hollow, right? Where you, you choose what weight classes you want to name as hollow, but a lot of these title ones are going to be seen as hollow. In contrast, there are certain other weight classes, like I think 130, 135, and 140, where the talent pool's deep enough that, yeah, you're like, okay, if you're a world champion here, you've earned it. It's also the same upper middle. Like I think Clarissa Shields cleaned up. There was no filler in her career, and she is. I've said to people before, if women's boxing is going to have its equivalent of Muhammad Ali, is going to be Clarissa Shields. But, like I said, a world title fight with 14 fights doesn't feel credible to me. Others may feel different, does not feel credible to me. Um, what else was good on that card? Um, the Gavin Gwynn fight 
I'm always forget who he fought. Woodruff? Um, decent fight. Had no idea how, how that motherfucker thought he was going to win a fight boxing on the back foot all the time. Like, I give Gwyn credit for, for reading that and going, if you want to box off the ropes, cool, but you're going to need some power to keep me off you. And he couldn't. And in the end, he got beaten to a standstill. What coach told his fighter to go in like that? How little do you know about your fighter that you think that is a safe and appropriate strategy? Because look what ended up happening. Cruelly, cruelly exposed. All for what? Like, and I, this is where I feel sorry for boxers because you've got to trust these people with your career and it's just been a consummate failure. I mean, that was absolutely embarrassing. Um, who else did all right in this fight? Quite, yeah, I quite enjoyed Sky Nicholson. Um, very hard to talk about her, obviously, because of the, the sort of out-of-the-ring stuff. But the kid's doing what she has to do. You imagine she's going to be fast-tracked to a world title. She'll be in the mix soon. But she can fight, and she's well-trained by Eddie, so credit where credit's due. You know, you have to have some pull when you can tell your promoter, I'm going to have a Queensbury trainer as my trainer. So massive, massive kudos to her for having that level of integrity. And credit to Hearn for having the humility to go, okay, whatever you say. But I thought it was a good card. I thought everyone was in good form. Um, Bellew was Bellew. thought Sonny Edwards was really good in commentary, actually. And if he's going to be like that on commentary, the accent can get a bit grating at times because you don't, I mean, it slips between um, Pearly and sort of um, Darnell, right? That's what it slips between. But my goodness, the kid knows this stuff knew exactly what to say, when, why, how, give him his due. Like, you had Darren Barker just dribbling in bias on Saturday night. Anytime, anytime Cordina landed a shot, it was just completely over the top. I thought it was unprofessional, actually. And hopefully someone will pull him up on that and go, that was just a bad look. Because you, you couldn't separate yourself from your emotions enough to call the fight as it should have been. I don't think Rakimov got enough love from the commentary team, apart from Sonny, who was, I mean, like I said, he was the guy. I don't think you need Darren Bark if you've got Sonny Edwards, would be my view. But I thought that was good. Um, event was, it was Cardiff, so it wasn't going to be massive. And it, it was the perfect appetizer for, for the main event we got. So overall, a good weekend for boxing. I think boxing's the real winner this weekend. And that's what we should focus on. I don't want to see people neither see hammering Ryan Garcia for what he did. Um, I think it's, it's a cheap way to get clout. So, I mean, hopefully we can all evolve and be better than that. And I know I get pulled up for my criticism of Darren Barker, but I'm fed up of him. I'm fed up of Costello. And Matcham could easily find a better broadcast team. Easily. Yet they, it's just jobs for the boys. All the people who were, who were butt-kissing and hero-worshipping her in the Matchroom were rewarded on the other side. And if you're a DAZN subscriber, I don't know if you necessarily want that kind of nepotism in your ranks, but that's why I'm not a DAZN subscriber, I guess. But listen, guys, enjoy your day. Um, so you've had 159 and 160 from me in the space of like, I don't know, seven or eight hours. No, don't say I don't give you extra. Take care.